Welcome to the Pilgrim Rest Baptist Church Podcast with your host, Reverend Dr. Terry Eugene Mackey. Today's topic is God Sees Things Differently, derived from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 19 through 23, with the guest preacher, Dr. Cleophis J. LaRue. Let's go in. That's what I want to talk about. God sees things differently. Let us pray. Come now, O Lord, in power and in might. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. God sees things differently. This story, and I thank the choir. I, I, I loved hearing you a second time, and I, I appreciate your patience and forbearance in hearing me a second time. This passage of scripture I have just read in your hearing is not about hell. It mentions hell, but hell is not the focus of the story. Now, some people get upset when I say that because some people need a hell. As if we didn't have enough already, but some people, some people need a hell because they have some folks they want to go there. And if they look like they're not going fast enough, they have been known to tell them. i tell you what you can do. You can go straight. But this passage is not about hell. This, this story that Jesus tells, the point of it is not about hell. Jesus did not tell this story about a rich man and a beggar to scare us out of hell or to scare hell out of us. He did not tell it to suggest what kinds of people go to heaven and what kinds of people go to hell. Nowhere in scripture does Jesus say that being rich in and of itself guarantees hell or being poor in and of itself guarantees heaven. Jesus did say that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it was for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, the basileo theu. And the reason Jesus said that is because he knew that rich people would be more inclined to trust in their riches than they were in the rule and reign of God upon this earth. But this story is not about hell. Moreover, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus, he was not the first one to tell a rich man beggar story. Rich man beggar stories existed in 
ancient Egyptian papyri and early rabbinical literature long before the time of the historical Jesus. And when I say historical Jesus, I mean the Jesus who walked the dusty shores of Palestine 33 years, 6 months, and 17 days like the old folks used to say. That, that's the Jesus I'm talking about. He was not the first one. So the question then becomes, why did Jesus pick up this story and put his particular spin on it? Well, Jesus told this story about a rich man and a beggar because he wanted to correct wrongly held assumptions about wealth and God's favor. So Jesus was a storyteller, so he tells a story to correct wrongly held assumptions about wealth and God's favor. And then the next question, when you're trying to be faithful to the text that you should ask is, to whom was Jesus speaking? Well, he's clearly speaking to his disciples, but there are also some other people within hearing distance of what he is saying. And you see those people in the 14th verse of that same chapter. It says, the Pharisees, a, a, a sect, a branch of Judaism, the Pharisees who loved money were listening to him and ridiculing him. The Pharisees who loved money, the Bible says, were listening to him and making fun of him because they did not agree with what Jesus was saying. But I also say that we have to be careful there. Even when scripture seems to support some kind of prejudice and discrimination, we have to be careful that we do not engage in such. Amen? That, amen, that we not castigate an entire group of people. In Luke's gospel, the Pharisees serve a literary function. They are always portrayed as those who are opposed to Jesus in Luke's gospel. So that is no excuse for us to then take up uh, castigating uh, the Jews. Amen? Because when you castigate a group of people, it eventually leads uh, to violence and even death. It leads to pogroms. Do you hear me? And Kristallnacht, night of the broken glass, when the Nazis broke out the windows of Jewish shop owners in Berlin. It leads to uh, Hitler and the Holocaust, where six million Jews perished under that evil man. It leads, that kind of prejudice and discrimination leads to neo-Nazis and skinheads and white supremacists marching in the streets of Charlottesville, chanting, the Jews will not replace us. That kind of prejudice can lead to a demented young man walking into a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and murdering 10 innocent people that he didn't even know, just his hatred. So we must not engage in prejudice and discrimination, even when it seems to have support in Scripture. So, therefore, I choose not to say the Jews, wink, wink, nod, nod, who love money. I choose not to say that. I prefer to say he was speaking within hearing distance of some religious people. Because if I say religious people, I could be talking about you. Or I could be talking about me. So Jesus is speaking within hearing distance of some religious people to correct wrongly held assumptions about wealth and God's favor. What was the wrongly held assumption? There were some people in Jesus' day, and probably in ours, 
who believe that if you were doing all right financially, that if all your bills were paid, maybe even your mortgage was paid off, that you had managed to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, that you had been successful at chasing the American dream. There were people who believed that was a sign of God's favor. And I say there are some who believe it today because they're very bold sometimes. They just come right out and say it. When you just want to know how they're doing, how are you doing this month? Oh, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> As if that is automatically a sign of God's favor. Conversely, there were people who believed if you were struggling to make ends meet, living from paycheck to paycheck, living from hand to mouth. There were some people who believed that you had done something to displease God. And that's why you were having such a hard time. So Jesus tells this story about a rich man and a beggar to correct that wrongly held assumption. So he begins by talking about the rich man. Jesus said the rich man was richly clothed. His outer garments were made of wool and dyed in purple. And whenever you see purple in scripture, that's a sign of royalty. And said Jesus, his inner garments were made of fine Egyptian linen. Don't let Jesus fool you there. What Jesus is really saying is that his underwear were made out of fine Egyptian linen. He did not walk downtown Phoenix, walked to downtown Phoenix to buy his underwear. He had them FedExed in from Egypt because he didn't want just anything next to him. And Jesus said the rich man was richly housed because when Jesus speaks about the rich man's house, he talks about gates. And whenever we think of a gated community, we think of palaces and porticos, grandeur and splendor. We think of privacy and security from the riffraff of society. And said Jesus, the rich man, was richly fed. He fared sumptuously every day. The rich man knew how to party. He was a connoisseur of fine wines and delectable delights. And as long as you have something to party on, you'll have somebody to party with. But soon his own runs out. With is not far behind. So as Jesus talked about this rich man, you could just see those religious people who believed that wealth was a sign of God's favor. You could just see them nodding, saying, yes, yes. That's what God will do for you when God is smiling on you. But then Jesus turns his descriptive powers to this poor beggar. Lazarus was a poor, sick beggar with a bad skin disease. He was so sick that he did not even have the strength to walk to the rich man's gate. The Bible says they carried him there. One version said they dumped him there at the rich man's gate. He was so sick 
that he did not have a decent set of clothes to cover his ulcerated body. So sick that the dogs came and picked up on the stench of his sores and came to lick them. And Lazarus did not have the strength to shoo the dogs away. And as Jesus talked about this poor, sick beggar, such a gaping, ghastly contrast from the rich man, you could see those religious people just looking at Jesus, all frowned up, saying, what do you expect from a poor, sick, lazy, shiftless, trifling, stinking, no count, beggar? Surely God is frowning upon him. And they didn't have to speak it. Jesus could discern their thoughts. They were asking of themselves, what did he want outside that rich man's gate anyway? He had no business being there. And Jesus answered their question. Jesus said, all Lazarus wanted was the bread scraps that fell from the rich man's table. The old German form critic, Joachim Jeremias, he helps us to understand how people ate at party back in that day. He said they sat at table, low table, and they would get a piece of bread and dip it in the sauce and eat, dip it in the sauce and eat. And right that bread caught between their fingers, they would throw it underneath the table, get another piece, dip and eat, dip and eat, and throw it underneath the table. And then when the party was over, the help would come in and they would sweep those breadcrumbs away and throw them away. And Jesus said, <clears throat> that's all Lazarus wanted was the bread scraps that were going to be thrown away anyway. The old black preachers used to say all Lazarus wanted was the teeny weeny itsy bitsy lun bitty teeny crumbs <laughs> that fell from the rich man's table. Jesus keeps on talking and Jesus said that the beggar died. No indication of a funeral. The beggar died. But the angels carried him away to be at Abraham's side. And Jesus has their attention now because that's not how they thought the story was going to end. Because in Jewish lore, whenever after your death you were believed to be carried away by the angels, you were considered to be in an eternal state of blessedness. And that's not how they thought the story was supposed to end. But Jesus just kept on talking. And Jesus said, and the, and the rich man died. And he had a funeral. And I just imagine in my mind on the day of the rich man's funeral, they closed up the town so that everybody who was anybody could attend that funeral. The governor was there. The mayor was there. His cadre of rich business friends who were not known to frequent the synagogue, they were there stumbling around looking for a special seat. Even though the rich man's funeral was filled with pomp, pageantry, and circumstance, of the demise of the rich man, Jesus said, in hell, in Hades, in the abode of the dead, he lifted up his eyes. Yes, sir. The rich man ends up 
in hell. But hell is not the focus of the story. This is the point of the story. God sees things differently. God does not see things the way we do. My Lord today. And you can think that you are doing things according to God's will and be so far off base that it's not even funny. Because God sees things differently. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so these things that we pursue so doggedly and believe in so passionately, these things that occupy so much of our time and our attention, our hopes and dreams and our aspirations, every now and then we ought to stop and ask ourselves, I wonder if this stuff that matters so much to me, I wonder if it matters to God. Because God sees things differently. He does not see things the way we do. I said earlier that I was born and raised in Corpus Christi, Texas, on the Gulf of Mexico. I have spent the last 35 years in Princeton, but I was born and raised in Corpus Christi. And there was a, a man in our town, a wonderful man, a businessman, but he had an inferiority complex. He was always trying to prove that he measured up to other people, that he was just as big as the next fella. He had a little business in the town and he'd go down to the bank and borrow money and have trouble paying it back because the business didn't do as well. He bought an expensive luxury car trying to show everybody that I'm right up there with every and and the air conditioning went out and he didn't have the money to fix it and he didn't want people to know he didn't have the money to fix it. So he rode around in that Texas heat with his windows rolled up we thought he was smiling, but he was really hot. He was just... And he, he retired and moved away to the Piney Woods of East Texas, closer to Louisiana. And I remember that some of us got in a car and went to see him in his retirement. And I will never forget what Brother Will shared with us that day. He told us that he felt his life had been a failure for it took him too long to realize that things that mattered so much to him mattered so little to God. My Lord, today. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how sad to spend your life caught up in stuff that does not matter, caught up in things that no longer count. How sad to attach worth and value to something only to discover too late that it has been discounted by God. How sad to think you are right about something. So right sometimes that you're even willing to tear up the church. Only to discover that God did not see it that way. Because God sees things differently. And so... The question, the question this morning ought to be, well, preacher, how do you know when you're seeing it the way God sees it? That, that's the question that should be asked. And, and you're probably not going to like my answer. Because God's will is difficult to discern. It's difficult 
to know God's will. You have to seek after it. And I know there are people, maybe not, maybe not in Phoenix, but there, there are people in New Jersey who love to go around talking about how well they know God's will. Oh, honey child, when it comes to God's will, oh, I know that 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 I know. And I say, well, you know too much. Because God's will is difficult to discern. God's will involves paradox. God's will involves reversals. God's will involves a radically different way of seeing, loving, and doing in the world. So often, God's will is in the exact opposite direction that you are going. And that's what I say it's so hard to try to talk to people about what you think God is willing and telling you to do because it seems crazy to people. You say you're going to quit your job and do what? You talking about you're going to leave Phoenix and go where? Have you lost your mind? God's will is difficult to discern. Amen. And finally, I'm almost through. Finally, may I say that, that Jesus told this story about a rich man and a beggar because he wanted us to recognize that there comes a time in every situation when it's too late to do better. My Lord, those people who were listening to Jesus, Jesus wanted them to know that they not only had a chance to know better, but they had a chance to do better, but that it would not last always because there comes a time in every situation including yours, when it's too late to do it God's way, too late to make a change, too late to do better. Oh, this is not a story about hell. This is a story about lost opportunities to live life according to God's plan. Look at the rich man. Being rich was not his sin. He did not end up in hell because he was rich. There's no sin in being rich. Money complements my spirit. I feel better when I have some money in my pocket. No sin in being rich. Amen. <laughs> he ended up in hell because he passed up every opportunity to see things God's way and to live his life accordingly. Oh, that, the, the beggar did not stay out by his gate forever. But he, he stayed out by that rich man's gate long enough for the rich man to see him. If only, if only it had dawned on the rich man to ask himself, why has God been so good to me? Why has God blessed my family the way he has? Why has God blessed my children the way he has? Why has God... Bless my hands and all that I've undertaken to do. Why has God been so good to me? Maybe, just maybe, somebody would have said to him, Mr. Rich Man, there's a beggar outside your gate. Maybe God is trying to tell you something. Tell me what? Maybe God is trying to tell you that creature comforts and worldly gain and material success are not the only things that matter to God. Maybe God is trying to tell you that your bottom line and your Benjamins and your bling bling are not the only things that matter to God. Love of neighbor 
and kindness to strangers, duty and responsibility to others, the fair and just treatment of all God's people, the love of all creatures, great and small. These things also matter to God. Now God knows, now God knows that his will is difficult to discern. God knows that. So every now and then God comes into our lives and he opens a window of opportunity. I didn't say door, because if I said door, you'd think you had all day to sashay through it. I didn't say door. I said a window of opportunity where he's trying to show us his will. And when that window opens in your life, you step through it, you jump through it, you back through it, you boot through it, you get in there any way you can. Because it does not stay open forever. God's trying to show you. And I'm through. There was a woman, and this is a true story. There was a woman who lived in the town about 40 miles up the coast from Corpus Christi. And through no fault of her own, she became the single parent of five children. Through no fault of her own. I say that because when somebody tells you they don't want you, at some point you need to pick up your life and go on. Amen. Trust the Lord. Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them and just say, with God's help, I'll make it somehow. And that woman, she went and got a job as a domestic, as a maid working for this rich white lawyer in that town. But she got it in her mind. She thought that was her window. She got it in her mind that God was telling her to go ask that lawyer for a raise. And so she did one day. She said, she said, sir, God told me to come and ask you for a raise. And that lawyer said, I don't care who told you, I'm not going to give you a raise. And she said, I, I, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm going home and I'm going to tell God on you. And that lawyer said, wait, wait, hold up just a minute, wait. He said, I will not give you a raise because you can do much better than cleaning my house. I won't give you a raise, but what I'll do I'll pay your way to nursing school in Corpus Christi. And she couldn't see the window. She said, oh, no, I can't do that. My old car won't make it to Corpus Christi. He said, on the nights that you go to nursing school, you can borrow one of my cars. I have a Cadillac and a Jaguar. You can borrow one of my cars. She said, oh, no, I can't do that. I have five small children and I cannot afford a baby. He said, on the night that you go to school, I will pay for your babysitter. Well, that woman took him up on it and went to school and got her nursing degree. And she worked for over 40 years in that community when she stepped through that window. And that lady today lives in the neighborhood where she used to clean house because God opened the door for her. Do you hear me? Won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? Oh, yes, he will. In Texas, in Texas, we like to say that opportunity has a long braid in the front and is bald-headed in the back. If you don't catch it coming, you cannot catch it going. 
Thank you for listening today. We want you to partner with us and become a part of our family. Please go to our website, pilgrimrestphx.org, to get more information. You can also text to give by texting PRBC to 77977. Remember to subscribe. Now, let's go live a life of higher heights and deeper depths as we occupy all streets.